Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and making things. And today we have a very special guest who Liz has convinced me to introduce in Welsh. Uh, so, Croesel. Y'all. Yay. <laughs> Um, this is Jimmy, who you might know as the Welsh Viking on YouTube. Um, so yeah, do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Sure. I didn't know that was that was coming. That was a lovely surprise. Well, neither did I until like last week, Aww. and then I had to learn how to say things. Well, I, I am learning Welsh, but it makes more sense from how we open the show for Hazel to introduce a guest. <laughs> so it's like, this is how you say it. And then I said it. You did, and you said it well. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know what to say now because I'm meant to be talking about myself. Uh, I guess I also studied archaeology, and I'm Yay. still studying archaeology, um, and love history as well, and make history videos on YouTube, and dress up in cool costumes that I make. Awesome. They are very cool. Um, Thank you. And you should you should go check out the channel. Um, mm. Not not you. Uh, Jimmy, I'm talking to the listeners. Oh, all right. I'll, I'll close that. Just close that tab. Right. <laughs> so we normally like to start by talking about things we've been making and or baking because we're also a food history podcast. Um, yes. So yeah, Liz, do you want to start? Um. Well, I I only have large projects, so like I'm I'm making progress on my rag rug. Mm-hmm. But that's I've, all I have to report. I've cut up many old clothes that I kept meaning to get rid of because they were falling apart, and now they're turning into a rug. That is the rug rug purpose. That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's so that's so nice, though. Yeah, it's wholesome. <laughs> yeah, it's such wholesome content. It, it's it's wholesome until you get to the point where I'm. Swearing at it because it won't go through the holes in the Hessian. <laughs> I think swearing at crafts is like a given. Um, That's true. I, <laughs> I do not swear on this podcast, but I do swear in real life. Just so you know, kids. <laughs> is it even a real project if you haven't sworn at it and or bled in it? Yes. The, oh. This week I finished... Um... Wait, I meant to say no. <laughs> I see. Okay, I thought you were just shutting me down. Like, oh, <laughs> oh. No, I disagree. With that no. This week I finished um, the shell for my dress form. Um, I'm I'm like making a a dress form that is meant to be like me, uh, but that I can stick pins into on purpose. Um, and I've I've never sworn at anything so much in my life. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot more structural sewing than I'm used to, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's done, um, and it appears to work. So the next thing I have to do is collect a large bag of unspinnable wool from my boyfriend's mum uh, to use as stuffing. And I'm not sure how that's going to work out, but I, that was offered to me, and I don't have any polyfill, so we'll find out. It's such a cool project. I love that um, you have two sources for wool because you're just that countryside. <laughs> well, actually, uh, if you count um, 
the nice man who owns the pub in the village and our postman, I have three sources. I was counting the postman. He was the postman. Stuart, the postman, who I'm pretty sure does not listen to this podcast, but he's wonderful. And um, he is also a shepherd and sometimes leaves wool on my doorstep. That's so charmingly bucolic. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. It is it's very nice. Um, it's like one of the less racist Tennyson poems. <laughs> Aww. Good. <laughs> that is nice. Um, yeah, what about you? Um, I've uh, mostly been working on my PhD thesis. Um, but <laughs> that counts. That counts? Does that count? Um, it does. Yeah. You're I've been doing lots of... It? I've been crafting my PhD thesis to a, a finely honed point um, <laughs> as much as I can. I can't do any field work at the minute because I live in Scotland and mm-hmm. I'm still not allowed to leave my local authority, which is a bit of a bummer when my field work is all meant to be up in the Western Isles of Scotland and I live in Edinburgh. Ah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But apart from that, I have been working on a Viking dress for myself. Um, awesome. Is made of some lovely Harris tweed um, oh. that I got from the Isle of Harris while I was there. Uh, that's impressive. Yeah, that's mostly it. Crafts wise, I think. What else have I been making? Have I made anything else? I'm just looking over sort of blankly at my partner who is. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I've I've ordered some fabric to make myself some new some new cloth armor as well. I'm making it a gambeson. Uh, oh. I just ordered lots of yards of linen for that, uh, and that's about it, really. Productivity wise, I'm not at my like I'm not at my peak. What is your peak? Is it just like endless, endless variations of historicalness? Yeah, endless sewing, um, sewing furiously on like, too many projects at once. Um, but I don't know. I think I feel like the lockdown has just kind of been taking up some energy that I would normally have put into crafts somehow. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah, no, uh, I, I get that. I, I think yeah. I found, especially for a lot of last year into this winter, was quite. Not not kind of feeling the usual um, do all the things energy. Yeah, I think it's like a combination of academic work load and also surviving lockdown means I'm not like knitting a tea cosy and a pair of gloves and learning a new craft and sewing Viking clothes at the same time. I'm just kind of going, uh, maybe maybe I'll sew half an inch of seam tonight. Maybe I won't. We'll see. <laughs> Achievement. Achievement. So, I believe you're going to teach us about a Viking craft. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of talk about it. The amount I can actually teach about it is probably very limited. If you know more than someone else and you tell them about it, you're teaching them. All right then. 
people that I'm teaching about. Null binding. Null binding. Sorry. Null binding. How do you say it? Okay. Yeah, null binding. Say it. Null bind. I was told off by one of my subscribers for saying null bind, but it's pronounced the little. It's got a little circle oh, above the A. Yeah. So yeah. Null binding. Null binding. Null binding. Yeah. Okay. It means, it means binding with a needle. Needle binding. A null. A null. Y'all. It's a good I, word. It is. I'm okay. In that case, I'm very excited because I have tried to learn null binding <gasps> and failed. Yeah, <laughs> very, I very like, much. Nick bought me a book on it, and I just I could not, I couldn't get my head around it. Yeah, it's it's magic. It's witchcraft. It's magic. It's mm. it's amazing. It, it, it is witchcraft. I have a friend who has made me Nolbin socks, and they're, they're beautiful and wonderful, and they're warm and snuggly. But it's just, it's just so mysterious. Magic sock. The magic socks <laughs> of Shogoth <laughs> or of Jen. I mean, she, she's called Jen, not Shogoth. So yeah, um, oh, but yeah. Okay. It is. It is a very old craft. Very, very old indeed. Uh, the oldest piece of Nolbind that we have is from Israel, and it's from circa 6500 BC. Wow. So wow. it is super old. Mm -hmm. Like nearly 8,000 years old. Uh, and you can do it with loads of stuff. You can do it with wool fiber. Um, there is a piece from... Denmark from a Mesolithic fishing village that was you made using uh, lime bast, so like lime sort of fiber made from lime tree fiber. No way. Yes, I've heard of a lot of plants being used for uh, for, for making clothing, but lime trees. Yes, yes, not like the not the citron uh, citrus tree, like the the linden tree, oh, lime tree. Okay, I see. Which is slightly less cool, but still cool. I mean, it's still paper string. It's still paper string. Um, the sort of Coptic Egypt, we've got lots of examples of it from, from uh, Christian, early Christian Egypt. Um, Nazca culture, Peru, somewhere around sort of 150 AD, I think we've got, we've got examples of it from so it's just it's this amazing craft that people seem to have independently used all over the world and it's sort of knitting but not knitting but also not crochet and you use a needle not a hook hmm. yeah that, that's so really you... interesting because i like when i think of null bending i very much associate it with the vikings um yeah but um i mean i I knew about it in Egypt, but I didn't realize it was so worldwide. I know it's crazy. Um, I think there's still there's still a tribe in Peru where it's their sort of it's kind of their cultural practice. Like it's one of the idiosyncrasies of their tribe is that they do Nolbind um, and all of the other sort of tribes around. I really hope tribe is the word to use in this case. I think it is. Um, don't really practice it anymore, but the women of this one tribe up in the hills or mountains in Peru just sit and gnarled gloves and hats and socks and 
all kinds of amazing things. But yeah, we've got loads of Viking Age, and like probably the most the most famous one probably from the UK is the York sock that they found in Coppergate, and it's just a single sock. Yes. Mm-hmm. We, we did our undergrad lovely. in York. We have seen the Coppergate sock. That's that. <laughs> I did my masters in York, so I too have seen the Coppergate sock. Uh, it's a good sock. It is a good sock. <laughs> so yeah, we, we have all pronounced it a good sock. <laughs> it is a fine sock, officially. But yeah, basically you make a loop with your yarn, and then you make a loop in the loop, and then you make a loop in that loop, and then you carry on until you've got a circle, a ring of loops that is connected to the first loop, so that it so that it is a solid piece. And you try not to... So it's not like knitting or crochet where, like, you tighten things up as you go. You don't want to tighten up the loops that you make in doll bending, is what I've been told by the many, many people who are better at it than me. So like, you make a, a loop at the size that you want it, and that's why so many people find it so tricky, because it, it, like, it's laborious and time-consuming to make sure every single loop of yarn that you make is exactly the right size and tension before moving on to the next one. Yes. Okay. Uh, so yeah. So like, where in knitting you have your needles which make all the loops exactly the same size. You don't have that here. You just have yeah. to individually make them the same size. Yes. Like manually. And you've only got one needle to play with as well, which just makes everything <laughs> more complicated. It's what you want in a craft: is you know, make it as difficult and complicated as possible. I mean, absolutely, this is why we later developed all of the other yarn crafts. I would imagine. I mean, it was being used at the same time as knitting um, in sort of the 12th, 13th centuries in some parts of Northern Europe, we think. But yeah, knitting and crochet. I can knit and crochet a storm. Like, I could knit you. I can knit you whatever you want, bro. I can't knob in to save to save my I mean to save my life probably I could but it wouldn't be much of a life it'd still like take it'd still take a finger or something like it'd still be I imagine there would be quite a lot of pressure in that situation so you you might yeah. not be that good at it No I get performance anxiety so I think I probably I probably choke I'd be like knobbing me a Coppergate sock replica and I'd be like oh no oh, oh, oh. and then I'd be sick and then I'd faint and then I'd wake up and like no kidney. I'm just trying to work out how bad you'd have to be at null bending to lose a finger. Like whilst oh, doing it. Like, in a tragic <laughs> null bending you accident. Might lose a finger. In a freak null bend accident. <laughs> I meant like whoever is forcing me to, to make stuff for them would, oh, okay. would probably get bored and be like, right, no. I was just imagining like you get your, get it caught in one of the loops and just tighten, <laughs> tighten and tighten. And then don't notice and all of a sudden your finger drops off and you're like, oh, whoops. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past myself. And that is why you have to be very, very careful. When that's why I have to be. That's why I have to be very. That's why I'm a YouTuber and not a professional nullbinder, and I get my friends to make them <laughs> for me instead. But yeah, that's nullbind is mm-hmm. like the, the the very very old fibercraft that we all associate with the Vikings is actually nearly eight thousand years old, which is crazy. When I found that out, I was mind blown. That's incredible. 
Uh, I'm just amazed that like we've got we've got a we've got an org a worked organic fiber from that far back is in itself just awesome. But mm -hmm. Israel seems to be really lucky in terms of like their fiber finds and stuff. They get lots of wool and yeah, they had uh, in the Tyrian purple episode that we did um, the yes. latest oldest find of the actual purple wool with the purple dye on it came from Israel. I, I think amazing, mm. so lucky. But yeah, that's that's most of my knowledge on null bending. I think it's fabulous. I'm no good at it. I'm really no good at it. I've managed to make the like the chain. I'm looking right now. I'm sat on my bed holding um, a chain, an initial chain of loops that are connected to each other. And that is the most successful null bending I've ever done. And I did it to try and remember how you do it for this episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> So one one of the things I know from having tried to learn to null bind is that you have on your needle you have a length of thread and that's what you've got. So when you get to the end of it, you have to join another one yeah. on. So when you're using wool, you can do that by just applying moisture and friction. But if you're using a plant fiber, how do you how do you join a new one on? You'd have to knot it. Okay. Oh. I assume. I mean, I imagine you'd have to knot it together. I don't know anyone who's knobbed with plant fiber. I don't think. But I imagine you'd have to tie it onto the tie it onto the old yarn. I guess. Yeah. I guess it depends on how the fibers processed. Because I know with bamboo yarn, you can attach it the same way with, as with wool. But I don't know if if the lime would act the same way. Okay. I wonder. That's really interesting. I didn't know you could do that with bamboo. That's really good to know. Some bamboo yarn. Maybe I'll try gnarl binding with some bamboo. Let everybody know the hilarious results. <laughs> yeah, you should do it. Do it. I'm going to give it a go. See how it goes. Experimental archaeology. Exactly. <laughs> For the win. <laughs> So when I was trying to learn null bending, um, the needle I ended up getting was this kind of flat, slightly bent piece of wood. Like, is that is that how? Like, what evidence do we have for actual needles? Are they like that, or is it is that just got, what someone decided to do? We've got a few different sort of. They're all kind of similar in terms of the form, in terms of the general shape. So they usually they are usually flattened, sort of. What should we call it? Like a flattened, like an oval, sort of like a an oval in profile, um, and they range from kind of an inch and a bit long to like three inches long, something along those lines, with a hole at one end, quite quite well pointed at the other end. Like they tend to be fairly sharp. Um, and then I think some of them are quite sharply bent, like they almost look like a leather worker's needle for doing tunnel stitch. But the majority of them are pretty straight. Like they don't really have a, an obvious hooked shape or anything like that. Um, mine is made of bone. I think the majority of the ones that we've got are either bone, antler, or wood. Um, I've got a friend who's got a metal one, but I don't know how that. I don't know how that affects it, but craft-wise, like I don't know if it being slipperier than 
bone ones that obviously like they're porous so they they can catch on the arm a bit i don't know if that helps like it does with knitting needles but mm. Mm. something to experiment with um yeah i think the vast majority um the die, I'm fine. Um, yeah, I think the vast majority of the ones we've got uh, tend to be made of, of wood or bone, and they're kind of... I'm trying to think of a a good way of describing the shape other than needle-shaped, which isn't very helpful. Uh, um, it's hard to do this over an audio medium. <laughs> it is. I try and think... I'm trying to think, like, if you think of, like, a chopstick where they're not, like... They're not the shape of a, a sewing needle. They're the shape of a chopstick, but much, much shorter. So, like, imagine you've cut a chop, a wooden chopstick in half, rounded the, like, rounded its bum end, and then made a hole in it. That's how that. That's kind of their shape. Um, and then some of the antler ones have got like quite freaky shaped ends. Like they've got very, very odd, very organic kind of knobbly shaped ends. Which are very attractive in their own way. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the shape. They're long and thin, and they've got a hole in one end. Uh, yes, yes. I'm good at this. <laughs> I'm sorry for dragging you from the world of video for this. I'm descriptive. One of the one of the real advantages of it is it's very good um, for insulation and trapping heat like like knitting and crocheting are because of mm -hmm. all the air trapped in it's really really good at it and it's also very easy to make into intricate shapes so some of the coptic egyptian socks are like two ankle height two-toed socks which yeah we'll, be... we'll take a picture of that when this episode goes up because yeah i've seen it described in multiple places as the lobster sock lobster sock yes exactly um but they're amazing and they're so they're so intricate looking but if you're good at nolbind you can like you can throw these things out you can you can start a little production line um and i know people who who can knob in the pair of socks relatively quickly and it looks very impressive and they're warm but i think it's it's like knitting and crocheting where you can make very intricate shapes with relatively few skills, like relatively few techniques. Like it's one technique, right? One stitch, basically. You have to learn one stitch. And once you're good at that stitch, you can make I mean, shrugs, you know, whatever, whatever you want to make. You, know, you want to make socks, you want to make mittens, you want to make gloves, you want to make a hat, go for it. Like do whatever you want. Um, I think the reason it's not, or wasn't, I, I don't really know anyone who does, um, used for bigger garments is it is quite labor intensive as a craft. Like it, it does take more work than knitting, I think, than crocheting. Definitely more than crocheting. I mean, I learned to crochet drunk in a pub on the Isle of Man in half an hour. So, so anyone if can. I, if I can, ham fisted goon, anyone can. Yeah, I think that's the. I think that's its advantage is its its flexibility in terms of making intricately shaped, smaller garments that will keep you snug. Yeah, I can see that um, that kind of buildability 
that's a word, being uh, handy. Because you, if you're trying to cut, like shape a woven fabric to your foot mm. or something, that's it's going to be a little tricky. You're going to have that annoying seam. Whereas if you're knoll bending, you can just go round and round and just kind of build it up as you go in that 3D shape. Yeah, uh, like crochet, right? Because if you crochet, you know, a, like a baby hat or something, you're just going round and round and round and round and round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense to me. I could be wrong. I could be lying. There could be like hordes of null binders, if that's what you call yourself, waiting to <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> There's always somebody listening to what I'm saying, waiting to tell me I'm wrong. I hate being on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, I, I like to think of it more charitably than that. You know, it's it's more the. I, I'm not. I'm not sure if anyway. I don't know. Maybe they do. I, I don't know what goes through the minds of. of no, everybody's but... everybody's fabulous. <laughs> All fabulous. Our listeners are lovely. I, I just like. They are. They are good. I just like the idea of somebody like. Just browsing YouTube, ready for like, oh, I wonder who I'm going to prove wrong this time. <laughs> I do get comments from people who are like that. Um, I'm told that they're like that by fellow members of the Big Red video website community. <laughs> will be like, oh, the fat guy. Yeah, he always turns up at videos. And I'm like, oh, all right. Oh, crikey. <laughs> I mean, that just means you're successful if you're getting yeah. trolls. Oh, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? As soon as you get trolls, it means that you're an internet success. <laughs> Love that. That's my that's my two cents on why it's it's popular as a as a as a technique for certain things. Because yeah, people people have asked me to think sometimes like, oh, did did they ever do we have any evidence that they use Narbin to make like tunics or dresses or what have you? And we don't really. Um, but you know, again, from an early medieval context, you wouldn't really expect much of them to have survived anyway from Northern Europe. But mm-hmm. it's kind of like you can crochet full dress if you want, right? or you can knit a full floor-length dress if you want. Don't, <laughs> but you can if you like. Like somebody way back when probably did make a full-length garment out of Nolbind, but you know, they, they couldn't feel their hands for a while afterwards, probably, because like, it must have taken just yonks to do. I imagine it would be very heavy as well, because the like the amount of yarn that you're using is a lot more than what you would use for just weaving. That's what makes it warm, Or like make right? granny square blankets and stuff. I wonder if there were people who like made Nolbind... I'll been blankets and snugglies and stuff for babies and like turned up like, oh, I've made him a blanket. It'll keep him nice and warm. It's just this massive, heavy, awesome <laughs> Nalbin thing. Like, hey, I'll put him in that. He'll grow into it. I mean, I imagine a, a Scandinavian baby would be quite thankful for something that thick <laughs> and cozy. Some of the... Um... Some of the like some of the Viking clothes that we've got that have survived. You're just like, wow, it's always been it's always been cold up there, eh, lads? It's just amazing <laughs> thickness of some of the wool. There's a piece in the Yorkshire Museum actually of um, I think it's tenth sort of 
nine plus minus fifty years, nine fifty AD ish uh, that they found in Coppergate, and it's just the thickest, roughest piece of woven cloth you've ever seen. Like each 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 strand is like as thick as your pinky finger. It's amazing. Wow. It's so cool. Like it looks. Whoa, yeah. Whoa, meaty. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that they were. Same in York. So cool! It's lovely. I think it's like it's in that weird display they've got going down the stairs into the basement, where nothing's got any kind of interpretation next to it. It's just like here's some stuff. Enjoy. Oh, I know that one. <laughs> it, it bothers me that display. Oh, it's yeah. Bless them, they try. It's a superb. Like, it's a great museum. Go to the Yorkshire Museum. Everyone go to the Yorkshire Museum, but. It is good. I mean, I, I just, I, I have a grudge against all the museums in York because none of them are free. But the Roman Bath oh, Museum yeah. is cheap. And under a pub. It is cheap and under a pub, but also museums should be free. Agreed. Yeah, no, agreed. What, what's the point of the National Museums Act 2001 if it doesn't extend to everything? Exactly. <laughs> You have no idea. The one essay in my master's in museum studies that I got a distinction in was the one about how museums should be free. <laughs> I have feelings. I get so many friends <laughs> from North America who come over and like I'll take them to the National Museum Scotland or the V&A or the BM or something and they're like, get their wallets out ready to pay and I'll be like, oh no, we don't do that here. <laughs> nah, you don't need that. <laughs> And then York is just sitting there, mocking yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Give us rubbing its, money. We are the city of York. Rubbing its <laughs> fat belly, smoking a cigar <laughs> in a top hat, like, capital at Chip North. <laughs> it's not a thing. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like York. It's the exact noise I hear every time I have to pay for a museum. <laughs> <laughs> 16 quid or however much it is to get into a york museum oh gosh yeah it's and and they all do the one where you like they're like oh it's expensive but you can come in for a whole year and you're like that's great i'm only here for two days yeah (laughs) tourists are like well i guess we're gonna have to come on this incredibly expensive holiday again this year then (laughs) that would have stayed for a year I'm, I'm just going to apply to the university. <laughs> That's how I went to York. Join the club, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a mission to go to every museum in York while we lived there. It was pretty great. Oh, yeah. Did we do that? Um, I know I did. I don't remember if you went to the Chocolate Museum. I've not been to the Chocolate Museum. But I have oh. been to Goddard's House, which has the very last Terry's Chocolate Orange ever made in York. Yes, yes we talked does. about it, we? An amazing artifact. I bet it's rank it now is. as well inside the wrapper. Oh, it's got all that white stuff on it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'd still use it for, for archaeology. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> for, science. for science. Yeah. <laughs> like, all of the, um, like all of the food in Captain Scott's cabin in the Antarctic that's still mm. technically edible. Like, shall we? Uh, shall we? Shall we crack a bully beef for science? Didn't Ranar finds eat one of oh, no he he i think he bought one of the biscuits from from the scott expedition um wow. i i was about to say i think he ate it but i don't think that's actually true 
<laughs> but I do remember because it was quite a large sum of money. Ranulf, if there's a, a, an article somewhere on like Vice that Ranulf finds has got galloping botulism or something, we'll know that he <laughs> did the thing. I'm just going to check if that's true or not, if, or if I just made that up. I'm Googling Ranulf finds biscuit. <laughs> careful, careful. <laughs> no, no, it's true. It's true. It was a biscuit found next to Scott to Scott's body, and it was auctioned <gasps> for four thousand pounds, and it was bought by Sir Ranulf Fiennes. Wow. Yeah. As far as I can tell, he did not eat it. (laughs) You didn't even eat it. There's a man with too much money. (laughs) I went really Welsh then. I get Welsh when I when I perceive like (laughs) unnecessary grandeur. (laughs) Who do you think he is buying a biscuit? (laughs) He did give it to the UK Antarctic Heritage Trust, apparently. Hello, I'm Mod Pencil from Probably Bad RPG Ideas. If you'd like to hear discussions of ideas such as what if in my urban fantasy game magic turns out to not be real, and what is the best rules for an ogre dad, then listen to, then listen to Probably Bad Podcast, which is available on everywhere podcasts are and also YouTube. Or check out our Tumblr and Twitter. Dab. So Considering quite how off-topic we've got, shall we move on to the local ladder? Let's. I'm sorry, that was all my fault. <laughs> we don't normally get this off-topic, yeah, it is, it is entirely your fault. You I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to talk about a surprisingly controversial cake. You just went very Lancashire. I'm excited. This is going to be good. This is what happens when I say cake. Um, <laughs> you did as well. In my defence, I'm from Lancashire. <laughs> well, that's all right then. Um, Colin the Caterpillar. Oh. I, I assume you've both seen about the controversy. <laughs> You're uh, opening a can of worms here. Yeah, the most the most um, controversial cake in the world. Right. Do you do you want to explain the controversy for any listeners who uh, may not be in the UK? Okay. So, um, in 1990, Marks and Spencer, probably the most middle class supermarket until Waitrose came along. Um, <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Can't. (laughs) Launched a cake called Colin the Caterpillar, which is basically, it's a chocolate Swiss roll covered in chocolate and basically Smarties with a white chocolate face with milk chocolate eyes. Those details will be important later. Um, Became incredibly popular, probably as a combination of the 80s trend for food that looks like other things, um, which was genuinely a big thing in the 80s, um, probably combined with the book The Very Hungry Caterpillar, um, which, yeah, was published in 1969, but uh, by the 90s was basically every child in Britain reads this book. And it very quickly became a staple of kids' parties 
Um, celebrity fans actually include Judy Dench, David Beckham, and David Cameron. <laughs> Genuinely, Judy Dench's 83rd birthday, she had a call in the caterpillar. <gasps> That's fantastic. <laughs> she is living. I, I love Judy Dench. I think it's also, I can't remember if it's her or Helen Mirren that embroider swear words, but Judy Dench did once play D&D with Vin Diesel. That's incredible <laughs> factoid. Um, so yeah, um, basically every supermarket has its own knockoff version. But then Aldi, you know, most of the knockoff versions, they have like fondant faces, they have sprinkles, all these different things that make it distinct. Mm-hmm. And then Aldi, the opposite of Marks and Spencer, brings out a caterpillar cake with Smarties, white chocolate face, milk chocolate eyes, virtually identical packaging. And understandably, I think, there there was a time when I was on Aldi's side and then I learned more. With it being that similar, Marks and Spencer's just went, no, this one is very blatantly just copying us. Please stop it. Um, Aldi's one is called Cuthbert, so free Cuthbert was trending on UK Twitter for a while. The main reason this is so topical, right, is is because um, it's There's just the legal case is ongoing. <laughs> it is. It's like a Twitter war between supporters of Marks and Spencers and Aldi. I, I do oh. think my favourite part, though, is that a chippy in. Cleethorpes, which is, um, I believe in Lincolnshire? Lincolnshire, North Lincolnshire, yeah. Um, is selling deep fried mini Colin the Caterpillars and oh, raising wow. money for the Teenage Cancer Trust with it. Be right, be right back, gotta go to Cleethorpes. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> So yeah, it's just this huge controversy, and there isn't a lot of history to it. But I just I wanted to share it with our listeners because a lot of them aren't based in the UK and don't know about the cake controversy. But it is everywhere here right now. It's like it's headline news here right now, isn't it? It is. It is. As I said on Twitter the other day, it is all kicking off in the cake fandom. It is indeed. Okay, so what changed your mind? Because I think last time I spoke to you, you were on Aldi's side and this this whole controversy. Well, um, the, the way that the Free Cuthbert side portrays it is very much Marks and Spencer going after Aldi because they are the, you know, they're the cheap supermarket. They aren't allowed to copy it, even though everyone else is. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that it is virtually identical. Um, yeah, and his argument is basically because it's so identical, it's not just here's another cake that looks like a caterpillar, it's here is a copy. Yeah, having seen them side by side, like the faces do look the same. But it's pretty blatant. I've just pulled it up. Yeah. And I mean, I know my caterpillar cakes. I've had one for every one of my 26 birthdays. <laughs> True facts. <laughs> You're a colonizer. I am. <laughs> oh. Um. But there's a lot of variations of Colin the Caterpillar now, which I enjoy. And there's also um, 
Yeah. Last year, they marked the 30th anniversary by declaring the 26th of August National Colin the Caterpillar Day. <laughs> they launched bags of Colin the Caterpillar faces. Oh no, I don't like that. That word I have to say oh. very carefully in this accent. Um, there's also a 40 serving version. 40 serving is... Colin the Caterpillar? That's a big yeah. caterpillar. That's a big There is Connie the caterpillar, which is a girl one with a pink bow because everything has to be gendered. Oh, that's how you know it's a girl. In 2017, they launched bride and groom cakes. Um, oh. Each one weighs two kilos and they are dressed as a bride and groom. I'm going to see this. I'm going to see Um... This year, they also had Colin the Caterpillar Easter eggs. <laughs> How do you get an Easter egg to look like a caterpillar? You put in a bag of the faces. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for the bride and groom. <laughs> He's got anyway. a little bow tie. <laughs> I'll, I'll tweet a picture of that as well, because it's the most adorable thing. Oh. I think we need to tweet this. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, but I thought I would play a little game with you two. Okay. I'm calling it Guess the Caterpillar. I'm going to tell you the name of a knockoff caterpillar cake, and you're going to guess which supermarket it's from. Ooh. Okay. I'm only going to do three, because every supermarket has one, but I'm just going to do three. Wiggles. 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 That sounds like it might... I'm going to go for Waitrose because they've got a W in their name. Okay, I I think I'm going to go Tesco. That sounds like something they might do, you know, in an effort to try and make it distinct. Nope, that's Sainsbury's. Oh! It's a bit left field. I'll, I'll tell you, Tesco's is curly. Okay. I find that very amusing and I'm not sure why. <laughs> what about Cecil the Caterpillar? Cecil the Caterpillar. Cecil. Buy this children's like... cake, it's called Cecil. Phil. Wait, wait. From the tone. Oh, is that going to be Waitrose? Do you I reckon think? that's Waitrose because that sounds. Cecil's quite a touch name. That is indeed Waitrose. Yeah. This last one's an easy one. Morris the Caterpillar. Oh. Asda. <laughs> <laughs> is it Morrison's? It's it is be... Morrison's. Yeah. <laughs> I would be angry if it wasn't. Yeah, Other ones dogs. include, yeah, Clyde is the Asda one. Clyde! <laughs> Clive at one stop. I didn't even know one stop had them. Wow. <laughs> Clive. <laughs> Co-op Swan doesn't even have one. It's just called the Curious Caterpillar, and I feel weirdly sorry for it. Oh, it doesn't have a name. Oh, I'm amazed one stop's got its own. Yeah. I just can't get over Clyde. It sounds like the caterpillar is about to rob a bank. <laughs> Member of a vicious criminal gang. <laughs> 
Oh. I'm going to have to find out what Asda's girl one's called because I know they do have a girl one and if it's not Bonnie, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's got to be. Clyde. That's so good. That was more challenging than I was expecting. Oh, that's it disappointing. Be. It's Frida. Oh. Oh. Cowards. <laughs> <laughs> they do, however, also do a giant one. Okay. So you don't have to put Max and Spencer's for your giant caterpillar cake. If, I might if... ask for a caterpillar cake for my birthday this year because I didn't get a. I like I. I had a nice birthday last year, but it was a lockdown birthday because my birthday's in May. I might ask if I can have a caterpillar. I mean, everyone's had a lockdown birthday now. True. <laughs> I'm not special. Okay, I get it, but. <laughs> but but you can have caterpillar cake. Have you had the? Is it always a Colin that you have on your birthday? It's or... just whichever supermarket. Like uh, my parents shop at a couple of different ones. When I, lived, I think when brand. I lived in York, I got the Sainsbury's one. Now we get the Asda one. I'm, do you have a preference? Or... I mean, I do have a preference for the Colin just because it has the chocolate face and I don't because I don't like fondant. There's <laughs> a fun fact about me. Good to know. <laughs> Imagine if this had been like an in-person studio recording and I'd brought a load of fondant fancies and you hadn't eaten them. Yeah. That would have been mortifying for everyone That could be a really awkward situation. See, it's it's oh. a thing that Nick enjoys though, because it means when the, when they get fondant fancies, I don't ask for any. Fancies, mm. more for me, more for me. <laughs> so yeah, there's an an introduction to Free Cuthbert, and probably one of my favourite British things, the caterpillar cake. The Free Cuthbert movement. Oh. One day they'll have their own banner in the people's history. <laughs> the next exhibition is uh, the <laughs> the caterpillar freedom movement of um, twenty twenty one. It's definitely been weird. A museum displays. Mm. Maybe. I mean, Maybe it not. it depends on how you define weird. I mean, just I don't a niche kind of. It is. I mean, it's rapidly becoming a cultural phenomenon, and it is a very British thing. Like, there's probably not a, not a Brit who doesn't at least kind of recognise the caterpillar cake as a, a thing. So mm. maybe it isn't a weird thing to put as a museum display. Maybe... I don't know. Don't look at me. I'm just <laughs> an archaeologist. I just dig them up. You put them in the museum. I guess I am me. a museum person here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do kind of want to go, go into an M&S, grab the collar and just go, it belongs in a museum! <laughs> <laughs> do you like in um, Temple of Doom and replace it with something of an equal weight? Replace <laughs> it with a cuthbert. <laughs> replace it with a cuthbert. <laughs> See if anyone notices. <laughs> That's the Security. ultimate test for their legal case, is can oh. they tell that it's been replaced? <laughs> Security guard walks past an hour later. <gasps> My God! <laughs> Sound the alarm. Colin's been kidnapped. <laughs> um, so I, I want to thank people for listening. Um, this was a really fun episode. <laughs>
Yeah, thank you very much for, for coming on our podcast. I thing. warned you about the chaos energy. I tried to <laughs> warn you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I think it went in a constructive direction. Yeah, so if you want to yell at us about Caterpillar Cakes or say hi or suggest an episode or any of that jazz, um, we have an email address, breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Twitter at Bread and Thread where you can see um, teasers on what's coming up. You can say things that we say we're going to tweet about um, that you can see with your eyes instead of just hearing with your ears. Um, <laughs> um, and we have a Patreon, uh, which is also Bread and Thread. It is. I should know that. Um, which has recipes and a Discord server. Um, do we have anything else? Uh, we have a Tumblr. We do have a Tumblr! Which is also Bread and Thread, which has so far largely just been me talking about the episode and reblogging random food related things. So but, that, sounds, know, that sounds really nice, to be fair. Interact with it, and I will interact with you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Jimmy, I believe this episode comes out on the 9th of May. I believe you are doing a thing that day. I am. I'm running a charity 5k wearing my Viking chainmail. I say it's Viking chainmail. It's, 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 you know, fairly good for late Roman to 11th century. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm running a, a charity 5k up here in Edinburgh for Stonewall, which is a charity that helps, um, LGBT plus people who are being uh, marginalised or struggling in lots of different ways. Uh, we've already raised £2,000 and we have a Just Giving page, which is wow. justgiving.com slash fundraiser or fundraising slash the Welsh Viking. Just type the Welsh Viking into Just Giving and I'll turn up. Yeah, Personally? I'll turn up at your house, yeah. With, with a bag with a pound sign on it. A pound sign <laughs> and um, a, a small, ineffective mask across my eyes. <laughs> that sounds like an absolute mission. Um, good luck. Thank you. I've, as, as we record, I've already pulled a muscle in my calf training for it. So it's, yeah, it's going well. It's genuinely yeah. going well. It's going to be great. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be fun. I've got a couple of friends doing it with me. Um, so yeah, if anybody is in Edinburgh, come and watch three sweaty men running in the park. I finished. I stopped. I stopped. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening. And I don't know what the next episode's going to be on. You'll have to wait and find out.